This episode is brought to you by Wingnut Social, a digital marketing agency for interior design pros. To find out more information, head on over to wingnutsocial.com. Have you hit a wall when it comes to growing your design business? Then welcome to Designed by Wingnut Social, helping home professionals accelerate their success with proven industry practices and expert advice. Hey there, and welcome to Designed by Wingnut Social. I'm your host, Darla Jethro Powell. Jethro is not my real middle name, it's just funny. <laughs> On today's show, we have a brilliant guest. Professor Aaron Ahuvia of the University of Michigan Dearborn is talking all about brand love today. And that sounds like a very simple topic, but I'm telling you, he dissects it and breaks it down. And I really had some aha moments uh, about brand love, our reasoning behind why we love certain brands, what we can do as interior designers, as business owners to elicit that kind of love and adoration from our clients, our fans, our potential um, future business partners to grow the business and to do that thing that we wanted to do when we started businesses in the first place. So uh, very, very insightful. All right, now to today's guest, Professor Aaron Ahuvia. Let me tell you a little bit about the man. Dr. Aaron Ahuvia is a professor of marketing at the University of Michigan Dearborn and teaches in the Human Centered Design Program. He is also faculty at the Penny W. Stamp School of Art and Design. He is widely regarded as the world's leading expert on brand love. He is also the author of a popular book explaining the psychology of brand love, which we're going to talk about today titled The Things We Love, How Our Passions Connect Us and Make Us Who We Are. Amazon named this book one of the best 20 business books of 2022. He is a professor, which I mentioned, and a keynote speaker, and uh, he kind of blew my mind a little bit in this interview. So Wingnuts, help me in welcoming Aaron Ahuvia to the show. Hey there, Aaron Ahuvia. Welcome to the show. How the hell are you? I'm doing great, Darla. Thanks for having me on. I'm thrilled to have you on the show, and I'm really excited to talk about the subject behind your book, The Things We Love, How Our Passions Connect Us and Make Us Who We Are. It's a super long title, but it's a super, super interesting topic. So let's dig in. Are you game? I'm here. Let's do it. All right. Let's do it. So um, let's talk about the the structure, the skeleton of the book, which is brand love. Tell us a little bit about brand love. What is it? And then we'll keep going. Brand love, pretty simply, is just love for a product or a brand or a service or anything else that somebody is trying to market. What's tricky about it is that, at least the way I use the term, it's actually love. So okay. love is a specific set of neurological processes in the brain, neurological and hormonal and chemical processes. And so when I say brand love, I mean... People's feelings about brand that trigger those same kinds of processes that we experience otherwise. And a lot of times people will use the word love. They won't use it that way. They'll okay. say, you know, normal. a lot of times people will say, oh, I love your haircut. I love your new sofa, whatever it is. I love the new paint color. And all that means is, hey, that's a really good sofa or a really good paint color. This sort of a generic compliment to something. Right. Right. Um, but there are other times when people really do mean it, right? They, they, they actually are experiencing those, you know, love for something. And that's super important if you are a marketer 
because the brain sorts out automatically and unconsciously sorts out thoughts about people from thoughts about everything else and actually uses different parts of the brain sometimes and different processes other times to think about people from objects. And the things that we really want, we want something to be, you know, passionate about something we've created. We want them to feel a sense of connection to it. If we have a brand, we want them to be brand loyal. We want them to be excited and tell their friends about the brand. All of that good stuff is located in the the mental processes that are normally reserved for people. So if you can get people to love your, the brand or the product or the service that you offer, then you can get um, that kind of enthusiasm that you want. If people just think about your, your stuff as an object, just like another rock out there in the street, they might feel attracted to it and it could be a very good and useful rock and they might want to own that rock even, but mm. they're not going to emotionally connect with it because we don't emotionally connect with rocks. We emotionally connect with people. Right. So a big part of marketing and branding your product or your business or yourself as a person, if you happen to be the face of the business, is the storytelling aspect of that. So how does that relate to an actual product? And I'll I'll tell you, maybe I'm missing the mark, but then this is crazy. This will show you my geek side. When you're thinking of brand love, as far as a product goes, the first thing I go to, um, and I'm sure there's more, but, Mm -hmm. and this is so silly, but there's a brand of action figures called Hot Toys. Okay. (laughs) It's, it sounds like it might be some other kind of action figure, but it's not. And they have like the Marvel and the DC and I have a whole collection here on my wall and I'll, I have them lit and displayed. And when I look at them, I love them. I actually get the serotonin, the dopamine, whatever it is. And I just really, and I love, I'm in love with the brand. They can almost do no wrong. I, I look forward to everything that they do and they put out. Um, so that's a thing. But there's some storytelling behind that because, of course, I'm in love with the characters from the, the the big picture storytelling. So tell me how the storytelling piece works into brand love when it's an item or an object. How how do we work work that out? Yeah. So you're a collector, I take it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and these, you, you mentioned that they relate to Marvel or DC characters. Or Star Wars. Or yeah, Star it's, Wars. It's, it's, yeah. Um, or, and, or what have you. It's it use fictional characters and they're the little embodiments, you know, of that, of what I loved about the movies or the stories or the comic books or what have you. They, they give me that joy. Because they connect the story that's relevant here. Okay. Is the most important story for you. And it's everyone's most important story. It's the story of your own life. So everyone has, for our identity, for your sense of who you are, part of that is just your life narrative, the story of your life that you tell yourself. And it's, you know, I used to be a little kid. This is how I was as a little kid. Then this happened to me and it changed me in this way. And then this happened and I became a little bit different, et cetera. And so it's a sequence of events and the way that you develop as a human being. And also in this story are other people. They're super important. So your parents are there and your friends are there and they're all characters, very important characters in the story. And they all, because they're connected to your life story, they become part of your identity. Having something become part of your identity is the central mechanism by which we come to love things. So 
I was mentioning a second ago that the people, like your parents and friends, become part of your identity, and they do. But other objects and can become, or a movie, if it's not an object, it could be a movie or something like this, can become part of your identity uh, in the same way because it plays an important role in your life story and it has meaning for you. And you can always tell when something is not just a mundane object, not just another rock out there on the road, right? But it's part of your how you define your own self by thinking about pride and offense. So if somebody insulted the moon, you wouldn't be insulted because you're not the moon. You might think that's a really weird thing. <laughs> I never thought of anyone having negative, negative beef, having a beef with the moon. That, that's kind of weird. But, you know, I'm not insulted. But if somebody insulted those figurines, I'm like that you personally would feel insulted because um, the role that those stories played in your life makes them a part of your identity. And therefore, when they get insulted, you feel insulted or vice versa. <laughs> if someone compliments them, you feel proud. And this kind of self-extension is very common. You see this with sports fans all the time. We won. You know, you didn't win. You didn't even get up off the couch. You did nothing but eat popcorn and drink beer. But, but because you know, the, the kind of connection we have, we've taken that team and its players and integrated them into our own sense of identity. And then we, you know, take pride in their achievements. Uh, or sometimes if, some, if they do something really bad, you know, you can feel ashamed. Like if you're identified with a certain group of people yeah, and like the dolphins. That group of people does something notably bad, it's really, you could be like, yikes, I feel horrible yeah. about that. I feel really ashamed. So love is finding something desirable, valuable, good enough that you want to make it part of your identity. You don't just want to use it because using you can use tools and not make them part of your identity. So it goes beyond just using it as a tool. You want to make it part of who you are. And that is true for objects we love. And it's also true for people we love. That when we love a human being, we open up the sense of who we are and we expand it and bring it around them like a big warm hug and then include them within our sense of identity. Uh, and that I can talk about the evolutionary biological reasons why that happens, but that actually, it's not just a belief. It's not something you can choose. Oh, I believe to do that. I, that's part of my identity or not. It's a, a part of your brain. It's the way your brain stores information and thinks about information about that other person or the thing that you love, that it becomes part of your identity. And so even unconscious mental processes that apply to yourself, you will unconsciously apply them to this other thing because you see it as part of yourself. That's fascinating. So that really puts in a, into perspective loving a thing, right? Because it's been said that you, can, you can't really love things. You can only love people. But there's, it's a lot more layered because in the way that you just described there. And that makes, uh, that makes perfect sense. What's, yeah, well, what's, what's really interesting about that issue of can you, love, can you really love things? You know, the statement, you can only love people. Um, it's a paradox because that statement is completely true and completely false at the same time. So let me explain that uh, paradoxical statement a bit. It is completely true because I mentioned briefly how 
the human brain at a non-conscious level is hardwired. It's built into the brain to think about things differently from people. And we even have a term for this. The way we normally think about things is called objectified. And you can, you can think of a person that way, saying you're objectifying this person, and it means you're thinking about that person as if they were a thing, which implies there is some way that we think about things that's different <laughs> from the way we think about people, because you're thinking about this person as if they were a thing, right? So, but love is reserved for, for people. Uh, it's really bad if people, if your brain, did, suppose your brain didn't do this well. Suppose your brain did not sort out people from things and that you thought about things, all sorts of things, just exactly the way you think about people, that would cause big problems. And we know this is true because there are people who have this. It's a serious kind of mental uh, illness um, where their brain doesn't sort out people from things properly. And they think about things the way we normally think about people. And you've heard of these people. They're called hoarders. That's oh what, my God! Yes. That's what a hoarder yes. is. A hoarder can't get rid of all those moldy newspapers because, at some non-conscious level, their brain has attached to those newspapers the way that it was designed to attach to a child, and the the system in their brain that sorts that out and says, "Yeah, attach to your kids that way. Don't throw out your kids. Don't do that." Even if even if your kids are noisy and screaming, you know, you got to deal with them. You can't throw them away. That part of their brain malfunctioned and attached to the newspapers that way. And they, they can't get rid of the newspapers. There's a, a really interesting story about uh, one woman who was a hoarder. The researcher asked her, I see you've come home with more another can of peas. You've got 14 uneaten can, cans of peas on your shelf. What is it? Why did you get one more? And she said, well, I was in the grocery store and there were all the other peas had been purchased. It was the last can of peas on the shelf. It just looked so lonely and forlorn there all by itself. I had to bring it home so it could go with its friends and have friends and community here on my shelf with all the other cans of peas. So the hoarding really is connected to this. So huh. your, your brain does a nice job of sorting these things out most of the time. And it won't normally let you love people, love things. It won't mm -hmm. only let you love people. But the flip side is that we do actually love things. Mm -hmm. And we love things because just as you can sometimes objectify a person, so you take a person, you think about them the way you think about things, you can humanize or anthropomorphize a thing and you start thinking about it the way you normally think about people. And that is part of the process that lets you love that thing. Hey, if you're a longtime listener of Design by Wingnut Social, you probably have heard me talk about our amazing social media marketing strategy for interior designers and architects and how really, really good it is. I mean, five-star reviews across the board, but just don't take my word for it. Listen to Stacy Martin of The Freshmaker. Before using Wingnut Social, I was lost and crying in a dark corner of the internet. I had no idea how to really run my social media in a way that attracted those dream clients I was looking for and really grew my social media following. So as a longtime listener of the Wingnut Social podcast, naturally I reached out to Darla Powell and her awesome team for help and help they did. It was an amazing experience. I received a step-by-step -step tutorial on how to increase engagement, how to increase likes, and ultimately how to capture those dream clients and those dream projects I was really looking for. And the whole process just 
exceeded my expectations. I could not recommend Wingnut Social enough. They're so fun to work with. They really know what they're doing. And I am so glad I turned to them for help with my social media marketing. Wingnut Social, we love you. Thank you, Stacey Martin. We love you too. And we love to see the results that you're achieving using the Wingnut Social strategy. Thank you so much. That's amazing. Well, that's a terrific explanation. And I do know a hoarder. <laughs> and my whole bunch of light bulbs went off and I was like, oh man, that makes so much sense. And also there's um, a stigma kind of like culturally in loving a thing, right? Mm-hmm. Some people are taught that, you know, that's wrong, that's sinful. You don't love things or possessions. That's not what's valuable. But the way you describe it makes perfect psychological sense, right? Because you're not, you are loving the thing, but there's so much more behind it. So let's talk a little bit about it. My audience is interior designers, which is mostly a service-based business, although we do sell product and things Mm -hmm. that make your home more beautiful. How does brand love and what we're talking about here apply to a service-based business or a brand like an interior design brand or a person it might be an eponymously named you know darla powell interiors or you know what i mean you know what i'm getting at how does that relate or apply or does it so there's two ways one specifically to interior design and the other to services more broadly so let me let me say about services more broadly there's a number of different ways that in order to love something, you have to sort of treat it mentally. Your brain has to treat it as if it's a person. There's a number of different ways that this can happen. One of the easiest ways is that if you associate it with an actual person or attach it in your mind mentally to an actual person. So very simply, I love my wedding ring. Um, The truth is I don't really care anything about my wedding ring, but mentally I've attached my wedding ring to my wife. And so if I were to lose my wedding ring, I would feel forlorn because in my mind, it would be like as if I had lost a part of my wife because it's sort of so connected to her in my mind. Right? So uh, that happens very often. Like you'll receive a gift from a person. You're feeling about that gift depends a lot on your feeling about the person who gave it to you. They're very connected in your mind. If you are a sole proprietor, you run a smallish business like a interior design business, people are going to connect to you as a human being. Now you've got to be a good professional and you have to do a really good job, but an enormous amount of their feelings about both the job you did (laughs) and their willingness to recommend you, it's all going to be focused on you personally and your relationship with them because the human brain evolved for dealing with people. When our, as we were growing this big brain and grow, become leaving the, the animals we were before we had the big brain, becoming the homo sapiens sapiens that we are now, <coughs> excuse me, with this brain, what was really going on is we were learning to deal with people in smarter ways. That was the huge evolutionary advantage, getting to be a better team, getting to either cooperate with people or sometimes compete with people more effectively. Uh, So your brain is all evolved around people. And so when you start dealing with a person, that outweighs everything else in a really big way. So I think everybody kind of knows this at a level. Um, Like, I'm sure the designers listening to the show know, like, yeah, I, I realize it's a lot about me, but I'm just here to tell you it's more about you than you think. 
right? It has more to do with those personal relationships than you think it does, even if you think it's a lot. I love that you said that because we have a lot of designers that come to us at Wingnut Social, which is a marketing agency for interior designers. And the the brand, the business will be named after the lead designer, the face of the business, the the person that we want to build this story around and mm-hmm. build that that connection with. And they don't want their face on their marketing. They don't want their persona. They're, they're a little shy about that. So that's they're missing out on a really impactful part of their business success and profit. And that, that, yes. that's... Absolutely. 100%. So let's say on the other hand, what if they aren't, uh, the business isn't named after them. They're more of a a team-based effort and there's no real one person that there's a story behind. How does brand love apply there? Well, it can still work. People, you know, people become loyal uh, and form relationships with the person that they're working with. So if you, if you look at a business to business marketing situation, say you're selling industrial parts to a factory right it's it's a very rationally driven process but the company that's selling knows that they need to have really good salespeople who form social relationships with the people who are buying because in addition yeah they're going to look at the the numbers about the product and how much it costs but they're also going to be influenced a lot by their social relationship with that salesperson or that sales team, because the human factor makes such a difference. So even if there's a group of people in a a business, it's still going to be the interpersonal relationships. But let me move over a little bit and start talking about this, the product, like how to do the interior design itself. Okay. And so I'll, I'll have one thought here that comes out of my research. We, as I was saying before, we love things that reflect our identity. Very often we have conflicts within our identity. You think of yourself as uh, just one woman I knew, for example, that I interviewed. Uh, She saw herself as very fashionable. Her parents were sort of upper class, fashionable people with, you know, old school kind of fashion. And she had that sort of classy woman sort of image for herself. But she also had this, she was a composer and she also had this avant-garde, young, hip, urban, feminist, uh, artsy persona. And those two personas did not overlap (laughs) very much. (laughs) And so she had this sort of conflict in her soul between these two different things. But what she really loved were these handbags that were these antique lucite. So they were like made out of plastic. Mm -hmm. These antique lucite handbags that were from like Chanel and other high-end companies that were really beautiful and really interesting and managed to be both of those things at the same time. Like all her artsy friends in Chicago thought they were totally cool. And she bought them at thrift sales, you know, and the, but they also looked like they came out of one of these 1930s movies about some classy woman, you know, in in high society. So they kind of pulled it all together. So when you're an interior designer, I have a hunch. There's a lot of cases where the people have this tension. They want, uh, their interior design to reflect them and their own tastes, but they also want to be quote in good taste or yes. in fashion. Yes. And they're not at all sure that their personal tastes line up with, with the image they want to project publicly to the extent that you can find something. So what people don't want there is they don't want to go all in one direction or the other. And because then they're losing one of those identities. 
And they don't want just something that's a compromise because a compromise is like it, it's sort of lukewarm and it doesn't help them. What they want is the magic items that are both at the same time completely expressing their own taste, but also completely in fashion and completely going to project for them publicly this image. So I'll give you an example of this okay. interior design example. There was a woman that I did research with that I talked to who had this furniture that was brought actually from Denmark by her family, I don't know, 100 some years ago. They carried it across the Great Plains. They settled in the, the, the Great Plains and were, I don't know, farmers or ranchers or something out there uh, with this furniture. And then when she moved to Chicago, she took it from the ranch back to Chicago with her. It so happened that it's kind of oak furniture that was like, it was very dressed down. It wasn't like the pie, you're the interior designer. I'm sure you know the name for this. Um, it wasn't like the fancy antique polish stuff. It was very like right. farmhouse antique. Sounds like Huga or, or something, if that's how you pronounce it. Or, yeah, or it has this sort of like, you can imagine like the oak mm -hmm. farmhouse style mm -hmm. furniture. I, I can picture it, yes. Yeah. She had this stuff in her apartment and she madly loved this stuff in part because her friends would all come into the apartment and they'd be like, this is so good. What store, where can I go to the antique store to buy this? This is, this is what I want as a, as a contemporary fashionable statement. But for her, it also connected to this actual growing up on a tractor experience that she had as a rancher. And so right. let her have her cake and eat it too. It's a both and solution. Right? And so I what I would really encourage people to look for is to find those little miracles, those, those, those little ways where something is really connects to the, the owner of the home and yet also somehow is really fashionable and, and on trend. And then they, and it doesn't have to be everything in the home, but they get a couple of those things they will latch on to those and you will see they love those things with a passion. That's a true story. I've been there and done that actually with the storytelling with, with curated pieces in people's homes that they love. And then there's, there's a whole history and story and the passion and the, I, that's perfect. Very insightful. So, um, Aaron Ahuvia, I have to ask you, is there any circumstance for any of the business models that we've discussed where brand love just doesn't apply and what would an alternative strategy be? There are a lot of situations where brand love doesn't apply. Oh, really? Okay. But it depends on the product. I would say for interior designers, it's always going to, like, I could, it would be hard for me to imagine an interior design situation where it didn't apply. Because what you want, the reason it doesn't apply, like, there's a number of them. One of them is you can't get the consumer's attention. Mm. You're selling tuna fish. And they just don't care about tuna fish. <laughs> and it's, so give up. You're not, they're not going to love your tuna fish if they, if they don't, they don't even want to pay attention to tuna fish. I see. So that's not going to go. And there's other strategies where you just want to have good tuna fish at a good price and advertise the hell out of it and make it very convenient for them to buy your tuna fish. And that's what you're going to focus on. If you're doing interior design, everyone, if they hire an interior designer, they care a lot. They're, they're giving this their attention. And your home is something that's very emotionally resonant to you and really reflects your personality. Yeah. So um, interior design is definitely going to be a place where brand love is very relevant. 
interior design is not a commodity. It's not right? a commodity. It's, exactly. It's so, very I mean, self-expressive. Where, yeah. where you get away from brand love is if the product is just a tool, mm-hmm. it's, it, you know, it's just a means to an end, or it's something that people don't really care about very much. It's not self-expressive. Other people aren't going to judge you based on it. Um, your home, other people see it. They make a lot of judgments about you. You want to express yourself with it. You care a lot about it. It's very important. It's very intimate. Uh, so it's a really good brand love situation. I love it. Aaron Huvia, is there anything that I've forgotten to ask you on this subject that you think the audience needs to hear before we get into the What Up Wingnut Round? I think we're good. Um, I would say that it's a great topic. There's, a, there's a, some sections of the book that deal with aesthetics and taste. Okay. So I think interior designers might be interested in particular in those chapters, sort of in the middle of the book, they explain how people develop their aesthetic taste and also very much around these issues of cultural capital, how people use the things that they have to display sophistication, basically. And I love it. Why some people are very big on sophistication and others not so much and, and how all that works. I think that could be useful to people. Uh, it sounds well. it sounds useful. It, it, this is definitely hitting the nail on the head for interior designers. Yeah. And now, Aaron, I have to ask you, are you ready for the What Up Wingnut round? I am so ready. <laughs> what would the hashtag on your tombstone be? Dr. Love. And I will say, I say that because for those at home who've got, uh, can see the video, I am wearing a Dr. Love t-shirt at this, at this very moment. Uh, he is indeed. He it, is it's indeed, really, ladies and gentlemen. It's really Dr. Brand Love, but I couldn't find any t-shirts that said Dr. Brand Love, so I just go with Dr. Love. Hey, there's this cool website. It's called tpublic.com. You can go in there and pretty inexpensively just do your own designs and stuff and have your own t-shirts. Nice. For there. So you can, there you go, Dr. Brand Love, a whole new, whole new thing to love. There we go. <laughs> You're stuck on a deserted island, but you can have one food forever. What's it going to be? Sushi, which I must say, if you're on a deserted island, is probably what you're going to be eating. So <laughs> it, it's good that it, I like it. It'll be convenient for me. So you're just accepting your fate. Yeah. Got it. Last but not least, not including your own book, please recommend a book that has impacted you either personally or professionally. Uh, Zoe Chance wrote a book called Influence is Your Superpower. And... We all want to be a little bit more influential. If you're an interior designer, a, a lot of this, it's, it's not focused on like influence if you're a politician giving a speech so much. It's much more like interpersonal. So you're a, a designer, interior designer, talking to a client, and you want to convince them that really they ought to go a certain way. Uh, very useful book in that kind of a situation. I love it. All right, Erin Ahuvia, please tell the audience where they can go to find out more about you and more about your amazing book, The Things We Love, and uh, we'll call it a day. Yeah, so uh, I've got a website uh, called thethingswelove.com. Pretty easy to remember. Yep. And there you'll find to be able to sign up. I've got a blog with Psychology Today. You can sign up on my website for that. Cool. Um, and then, of course, the book is available everywhere. Books are sold including Amazon and everywhere else. So uh, I hope you enjoy that. All right. I'm going to run right over and buy that from Amazon. It sounds very fascinating. You have been a tremendous guest. Super, super. I could talk about this for a lot longer, but we are done. We are out of time. Darla, thank you so much for having me on the show. Well, that was some very interesting insight. Thank you, Dr. Ahuvia. 
on brand love and if you're out there and you are susan mcnuggets interior design and you never show your story show your face you might want to just reconsider that situation right there i mean i know we've been hammering it in but here we have a real doctor a real professor come on now that's credibility <laughs> see i've been telling you stuff a professor told you that does that make me gosh can i get my like um honorary doctors <laughs> in marketing no probably probably not but i think you i think you get what i'm putting down super super interesting brand love and it makes sense that stuff that's commodities like little hammers or tuna fish we're not i mean maybe there's some tuna fish you're in love with i don't know that's your that's your story you know have at it but it, that totally makes sense and if you think about it there are, the first thing i thought of of course was my little action figures i should take a picture so we can put it in the show notes at wingnutsocial.com/podcast um, but there's, with the interior design world, there's tons of stuff, right? There's sofas, there's lighting, there's things that elicit that that feeling of love and joy because of the story behind it and the story that we tell ourselves about it that do relate to our identity. So I'm going to run over and not walk and pick up the book, The Things We Love and How Our Passions Connect Us and Make Us Who We Are from Audible because it's also on audiobook and that's how I roll. All right, guys, that's it for this Wingnut Wednesday. If you need help with marketing your interior design business, your architecture firm, or any interior design related situation that you got on there, head on over to wingnutsocial.com. And remember, until next week, to get out there, get uncomfortable. That means getting on camera. Put your face out there and be great. You've reached the end of this episode of Designed by Wingnut Social, but that's only the first step into accelerating your business the Wingnut way. Head over to wingnutsocial.com or call us at 786-206-4331 to see how we can help take your business from meh to amazing. We'll see you on the next episode of Designed by Wingnut Social, your digital marketing tightly fastened. I'm tr I'm thrilled to have you on here. This I love this topic. You of course are an author, and your your book that you you recently launched. I, I well, let me start that over again. <laughs> I'm already f***ed up. Sorry. I'm thrilled to have you on the show. I your book, the things. <laughs> it's a long as time. many takes as you need. <laughs> it's been it's been a long day already. All right, to you know do all that thing. Why what that bit? And to the Deep. Boop, 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 boop. And to the God bless America in the butt. So we'll just wait because we're on dog time. No, please. You do you. Go on. Don't don't let me bop. No, don't worry about me. Just running a show here. So I'm gonna run and not walk. I'm gonna run or not walk. Hmm. I haven't run since 2010. Good boy, Mango.